Conversations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and the content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. Oh yeah. Hello everyone, this is uh, Todd Fredericks, DO, Associate Professor of Primary Care at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine in lovely Athens, Ohio. I am in my new office in Irvine 226. If any of you are ever near Irvine 226 and the door is open, you're welcome to come in. I have a refrigerator over there. I have uh, things to drink inside of it that are approved by the university. And uh, I've got a really nice view of... um, of the green. Just a short distance from me is the brand new medical school, Heritage Hall, which is uh, a, a, it is, it's like, it's new car smell. Like literally it, it just opened. Like the, the first class, um, what would this be? The class of 2025 is uh, in there. Uh, the class of 2024 is in there. The second year is in there doing something today. I don't know what it is because I'm not there today. I'm not teaching today. I have uh, my first clinical shift after having been away from uh, clinical medicine since February, at least civilian clinical medicine. And uh, you're probably wondering, well, what's been going on? Where have you been? Why hasn't Rotations posted a new episode? Well, I'll be quite honest with you. I've, I've been in the Middle East, and um, I spent uh, many, many months there. Uh, the unit that I deployed with is still there. Uh, doctors in the military, unless they volunteer to go for an entire, entire duration tour with the unit, uh, are only obliged to do 90 days in the country. As it was, I did uh, something in excess of four months on active duty, uh, closer to five, uh, in addition to a year of COVID duty, um, working to mitigate COVID. And so I felt after that 90 days, I needed a break and I'm still not there yet. It's been a month since I got home and this is the first time I've actually had enough headspace to sit down and start having uh, more traditional conversations through the medium of rotations. Um, I've got a call out uh, to a couple of people, Brian Plow, number one, who I haven't seen Brian in months and I miss him. Uh, Brian, I want him to come down and we're going to talk about sort of a non-traditional thing. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, whatever Brian's doing, literally. I mean, he's he is a founder of Media and Medicine. He is a co-founder of Rotations. And I think it's important to catch up with Brian and find out what's the film guy doing, right? Um, then we've got, uh, I'm going to try to get John Bowditch down here from the Grid Lab. John does uh, immersive immersive game design, all that stuff here at OU. Uh, he's well known in the industry that he works in. And uh, John's just a, a good guy to have around for general color. And I'll be honest with you, I just need, uh, I need to, I need to, take a break a little bit. I'm not sure why. I'm having a hard time. Um, I turned 56 two days ago and um, I'm having a hard time getting my head around the now. Uh, where I'm at. Um, I experienced an awful lot. Those of you who are not in the military who are watching events far away around the world can, I mean, I, I can only assume what 
that you're feeling in terms of mixed emotions. Well, when you are in the middle of it and then you come back here, it's a little confusing. I arrived back, my, I don't have an office, or I did have an office, I didn't know where it was, I had to find that. I had to unpack my office, I had to bring all my recording gear back from the COVID, from my home office back here, uh, and get it set up, and try to make this, this office feel kind of like what I need it to feel like, which is I am a university professor at, an, at the oldest university in the Western um, Reserve of the United States of America. OU's founding dates back to 1804. Uh, we, we, we are much older than any other university that you would think of outside of some East Coast universities. And so there's a lot of nostalgia for me at OU. Um, certainly Irvine was not built in 1804, but it, it, it has wood paneling and it has the warmth of what I think a university office should feel like. And uh, I need that mentally. I need to be connected to the past as well as thinking about what happens next uh, so I'm not one of those people that you're going to find that's just so enamored by future progress that I, I need the newest, shiniest thing. And so the university recognized that, and they said, you know, Todd, we think you'll be happier if you're over in kind of the, you know, the, the, the part of the university without the new car smell, the, the, char the, the character part of the university, which is not to say that I don't spend time in Heritage Hall. It's got technology off the off the charts like you can you can do incredibly sophisticated um, class presentations and video work it is a really interesting place to work and I mean that in a positive sense in terms of what the potential is our simulation facilities are better than we ever had at the old uh, building in Grosvenor and we're getting ready to launch those uh, as far as um, how we apply uh, simulation activities to medical education those first events are coming up and uh, we have some great lab spaces and meeting spaces over there, as well as, um, you know, aesthetically, there's a lot of things that are nice about it as well. But for me, uh, to just be able to think and read, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm Gen X. I, I'm not connected, um, you know, intravenously to social media. I participate in it and I understand it, uh, but um, I like having an open wood door. I do. And I like having windows I can open and I like uh, being able to look out at a green and that helps me think better. And so um, Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine has done a good job, I think, in helping to balance those of us with those needs academically with people who are like, yeah, I'm, I want to be in the new car smell. And so I think we're finding a balance in the new the new organization to see how we work as a machine and how we uh, how do we develop over time. And I'm excited about that. And I think the executive dean is, and, and certainly the Athens campus dean and the students as well. They've had a lot of great events, and the students, I think, are really enjoying it. And um, I say all that only because it, it kind of contextualizes where my mind is. I'm trying to establish some ground. And if I told you that, um, that that's been difficult because Afghanistan, right? Afghanistan. Uh, I've got a project right now trying to get a canine back in the United States that um, uh, when that story is ultimately told and I'm trying to figure out how to tell it because there's a lot of ramifications to, to publicly airing that story that I have to be very cautious about, um, it will blow your mind. And um, so I've been working with uh, various uh, people that I know to try to uh, get that canine brought back to the United States. Um, and, you know, you leave and you've still got friends over there you're working with on major projects. One of my last assignments was helping to conceptualize the medical support plan for 
Afghan displaced persons um, that were coming in through one of the major camps created by the U.S. military. Uh, that should be clearly noted that the U.S. military on several levels did have an understanding of a need for um, a sanctuary for Afghan civilians and U.S. civilians. And those plans were in effect months ago. Uh, and so I, I just want people to understand that there were many of us who were working actively around the Middle East with the anticipation of a need to help support uh, eventual eventual uh, exit from Afghanistan and what the implications that would be. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit today, getting back into rotations, is from the safety of my of my very familiar office in Irvine and uh, within viewing distance of the brand new future of OUHCOM as, as um, symbolized by Heritage Hall and the good things that are going to happen there and the development and growth of the school in the future. Um, it's easy to kind of get a, a little anchoring point here to look back. If those of you out there, and predominantly the people who listen to rotations are medical students or even professors or you know interested people in medicine and science, the people who are listening to this, if you feel confused by Afghanistan, there's a reason why. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance, and I'm going to be clear that there is active um, information operations going on about shaping what has happened in Afghanistan. I'm not going to comment uh, about Afghanistan from a political perspective, other than to say that um, that story is not complete. Let me repeat that. That story is not complete. When you see talking heads on TV saying, this group or organization failed, this group or organization succeeded, this group or organization didn't know what they were doing, this group or organization didn't know what they were doing, back and forth, whoever that is, I, I would encourage you as a person who is on the ground, not in Afghanistan, but in another part of the Middle East supporting operations in Afghanistan, I want to tell you, be very, very, very skeptical. The U.S. military hasn't even completely come to terms with what has happened in Afghanistan. And there's going to be books, and there are going to be field manuals, and there's going to be um, operational directives, and there's going to be soul-searching, and there's going to be people at the highest levels of military leadership that are going to try to figure out the lessons learned. And I'm not just talking about in the last two weeks, which are emotionally crushing for any number of people, including people who are listening to this podcast right now, they are immensely difficult for people in the military who have a vested interest in the humanitarian side of conflict. Uh, that would be me. I mean, I've always had a leaning towards civil affairs. I've always had a leaning towards um, uh, the, 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 the civilian costs of war. And um, I have a, an eye towards that. And so my lens naturally focuses on human impact and conflict, not just for civilians either, for, for the military people. You know, I'm in a feelings business. I'm a, I'm a systems engineer for the human system, and the human system is squishy, and it has feelings, and it has emotions, and it has this predictable physiology, and it has this unpredictable psychology, and it has all these things going into it. And believe me, that is a complex system by any definition. My particular penchant is towards the qualitative nature of the human experience. The spiritual emotional side, even though I'm a physician and I can deal with the physical side, I think about the spiritual emotional impacts of this stuff and what, what it has in terms of implications for moral trauma. We have uh, 13 service members killed in a car bombing 
with other service members around, not only dealing with the impact of that, and I'm not saying, I'm not excluding the consideration of families and, and friends left behind. That is, that is a given, the massive impact of that. I'm talking about young people that are being forced to make decisions about who gets into a safe haven, Hamid Karzai International Airport, who does not, who's the last person on a plane, who doesn't qualify, who does qualify in the midst of the loss of U.S. Uh, military personnel and Afghan civilians. And I'm going to tell you as a person who's been witness to what the after effects of an IED are, uh, I you know, my first experience with that was as a 40-year-old uh, senior field, uh, mid-grade field off, mid-field grade officer, lieutenant colonel. Young people have to face that stuff, and that's going on. There's a lot of things that resonate around your head when you think about that. But I want you to remember that Afghanistan is not over yet. There's still troops en route towards home. There are still uh, things being done over there where you are, you're still engaged at some level, even though you say last troops out of Afghanistan. That doesn't mean that there aren't troops that were in support of Afghanistan in other parts of the world that are still dealing with trying to deal with Afghanistan. And so I think it's important uh, in the spirit of objectivity that people say, whoa, 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 there are folks that are going to study this for years. Um, I, I looked it up, the 9-11 Commission. The 9-11 Commission didn't get launched till about a year and a half after 9-11 happened, and it took two years to figure out what actually happened at 9-11. I mean, think about it. That was a one-off attack in New York City in a very contained, very robust investigative uh, environment. I mean, there was no, no better—if you could say, if you wanted to find a place with incredibly good investigative support to analyze an incident, it would be New York City. Because the NYPD alone, the intelligence division alone of the NYPD is larger than most police departments in the United States. And they've got an intelligence division, the city of New York. And then you have the state investigators in New York. And then you have the federal investigators in New York, in, in the United States, of multiple agencies that can go into downtown New York. They can look at, the, look at that situation and do very elaborate and sophisticated forensic um, forensic evaluations of that event and get a pretty good handle on things such as you can in such a, a catastrophic thing. We're talking about 20 years through multiple administrations, through multiple four-star general commands and through, I mean, hundreds and different units and millions of troops when you start counting the total number of troops circulating through the Middle East. So to just encapsulate Afghanistan into something at this point, it's premature. But that you know something isn't right is legit, is legit. So what you hear me saying is the feelings you have that something has gone really wrong are valid. The, the question is, is what is the foundation of the wrongness? And this happens in a lot of things. This happens in medical malpractice suits. This is why uh, a systems engineering perspective is helpful in medical malpractice, that going back and looking at root cause analysis or being sensitive to that term and saying, what was the real problem here? Was the real problem that the doctor didn't understand the disease that they were looking at, or was the real problem that the doctor was distracted by human factors? Because that does play a role. If you are sick with COVID or you're sick with some other illness when you have a critically ill patient and you weren't quite certain, the fact that you didn't diagnose 
the correct illness may not be the real problem because if you hadn't been ill, your decision cycle may not have been impeded. You may have corrected that error before uh, an adverse event occurred. That's the way it works. It's just how it works in complex systems. And the system involves the investigators as well. When you look at studying any system, I think it was Heise is it Heisenberg. I think it's Heisenberg. Heisenberg talked about you know the fact that I'm summarizing and I'm probably doing it inarticulately, but basically the mere act of studying a system changes the system, right? So these are kind of heady, you know, wonkish academic things to think about. But in the context of Afghanistan, as you're getting this barrage of social media, and do not fool yourselves, there are any number of actors that want you to believe a certain narrative about Afghanistan. Russians, Chinese, domestic groups, left and right, uh, pro-administration, uh, anti-administration, you name it. And they're all vying for your attention and your, um, your bias. That's what they're doing. And it's really hard to filter this stuff out sometimes. In fact, I don't. Yeah, most people know I don't have a I don't have a TV a cable subscription. Like a lot of people, I use streaming services. Well, most 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 of the stuff on my TV are um, are movies. My wife and I are binge watching Downton Abbey right now. By the way, whoever made that beautifully done. The lighting and the 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 blocking and the the, the just the, the the opening shots are just beautiful in that how it's done. Um, I don't watch regular TV. I have to sift through the stuff just like everybody else, trying to find stuff that I can validate. And fortunately, I have a, a at least a little better lens. I can call friends up who are closer to events and say, hey, what's the deal on the ground, right? And occasionally, I get a different picture. So analysis is critical on that. And being objective is critical. Uh, hard to leave that. Hard to leave that. And um, I think that's kind of how I wanted to open this. So um, as, as we go forward and try to get back into a normal rotation cycle and get normal people in, just be aware that I am still affected by what I've experienced in the last several months. And I'm distracted. I'll just be quite honest with you. I'm distracted. I'm distracted by um, things that concern me about the U.S. government, the U.S. military. Um, the the environment, the people that are there, the people that are coming, the 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 kids that are having to work through issues, uh, how we're how we're managing and and trying to analyze and solve problems. I have a lot of concerns on a lot of levels. Uh, I have a few concerns about starting the new school year. That's always a little bit anxiety ridden because you're sitting there thinking, you know, what have I missed, or you know, are these students going to? Is it going to resonate with them? Will it help them in the end? Um, I've already identified areas that need to be scrubbed. I mean, I've been away from actual academics for quite a long time, and um, it's a continuous process, just so you know, in a medical school. There's a continuous, uh, Boyd would be the guy to look at this, right? So uh, if you look at B-O-Y-D -B -O in the OODA loop, um, uh, there's variations of the OODA loop, but uh, um, observe, orient, decide, act, right? So this constant revisitation of what you are measuring in your system and trying to keep your decision cycle running at a rapid enough rate to accommodate changes that are necessary within the system. Um, that OODA loop is constant in a medical school. It kind of goes on a semester basis. Usually the semester coming up is the one we're looking at right now. Um, I'm looking at things in this semester right now I need to change. 
I'm not going to change them now because they're not they're not career critical or academically critical for the students, but I know they need to be modified just to make up for changes and things that are happening. Um, but this is this is uh, kind of how complex adaptive systems work in general. And um, I would just tell you that as an individual who's currently working through uh, uh, the War College, the Army War College, um, that's what we're focused on right now is complex adaptive systems and organizational change and change management and uh, change leadership, how that works. Um, and it gives you a deeper appreciation for the challenges faced by leaders. I'm not a leader, I'm, I'm a staff officer. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with being a professional advisor and subject matter expert in my field. I understand my that I don't get my way, that I can just put in input and let uh, people like the deans make their ultimate decision. And they're dealing with complex environments. Deans are dealing with things I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I'm, I have led big enough organizations myself that I know some of the pressures that they face, but I don't know all their external stakeholders. I don't know all the people that they're trying to influence and the things that are difficult for them to balance. And then having the obligation of also trying to keep an internal organization morale up, functioning correctly, uh, while they're trying to accommodate external pressures. And this sounds, you know, like really like, oh, my gosh, it's not super interesting. This isn't technical. This is it, it's everything. Uh, Lou Gerstner in uh, Who Says Elephant Can't Dance basically says, look, culture is everything. It, Lou Gerstner is the guy, the CEO of IBM that turned a company that had just become so, um, so um, entrenched. And Tom Watson's really perverted original ideas, which were really good, they had morphed into things that were making IBM die. They weren't even motivated by their competitors telling them that they were ha also rands, has-beens. They were no longer relevant. They just thought it will go on forever. And things don't go on forever. Afghanistan doesn't go on forever. Systems are dynamic and they change over time. And that's why you have to reevaluate and reassess and you have to go back through and you have to look at these things and you have to... You know, you have to study them, and then you have to interpret the data, and then you have to learn from the data by applying it to your own situation. Um, I'm People who are listening that are with me in the War College know that I'm quoting from stuff I'm reading right now, but it's still applicable. It's stuff I've thought about. I just couldn't articulate in the same way I am now because I have the benefit of nomenclature from, thankfully, the United States Army War College. But these changes that you see, when you look at them and they don't make sense, Step back just a little bit and say, this is a really complex system. It's a really complex system. We've left some, you know, the, 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 the pundits are saying we left $90 billion worth of military equipment in Afghanistan. Um, I'm trying to figure out how many military working dogs were left in Afghanistan. I'm not sure anybody really wants to disclose that information. Uh, it may be none. It may be more than that. I know that in World War II, we left uh, combat dogs uh, behind in Guadalcanal. I think it was Guadalcanal. I think it was 21 Dobermans that were left there, just left. Um, things that emotionally impact me. But my point is, is that it's complex. The system's complex. So one simple answer of, well, if this had just happened, it would have solved everything. That is flat out wrong. That is flat out wrong. And medical students that are listening to this, um, at the at the direct tactical level, and what that means for medicine, let's just put that, let's, let's, let's make military terms match uh, civilian medical terms. The tactical level of medicine is the clinic. It's the doctor with the patient, the provider with the patient. The operational level of medicine would be the head of the department. 
okay, they're trying to conceive where, where the Department of Internal Medicine is headed in the next four or five years. What kind of equipment are we going to need? The head of radiology, do we need a new CT scanner? That kind of stuff. The radiologists are reading the films. Those are the tacticians. Those are the tactical guys. The operational guy is the department chair. Uh, it might be the chief of staff. Right? If you're in a large hospital consortium, consortium, the chief of staff of that hospital is the operational person. My little hospital within the giant hospital uh, um, uh, conglomerate is operational. We're, build, we're supporting this community in their healthcare. Then you have the strategic level, which would be the, the C-suite, the, the, the fifth floor corner offices of the consortium, the giant hospital corporation. We're talking about the Kaisers and the Ohio Health and the university hospitals. And there's millions of others. I'm not taking them out by, I'm, I'm just giving you examples from the Midwest, right? From Ohio, but that's the, that's the tr strategic level. And those people have to make decisions based upon, oh my gosh, what's the government of Ohio say about this? What are the laws of Ohio? What are the federal laws? What's the reimbursement structure going to be for Medicaid and Medicare? Um, so you're sitting down there treating this patient and trying to figure out why can't I get this done for this COVID patient, let's say. Those effects are sometimes generated at levels above you and are constrained or modified by things you wouldn't even think were associated right? So I'm going to give you an example for canines. Let me give you a hypothetical. So I have enough, some of you know that I've, I have a very strong affinity for dogs. Plow and I have been working on a film about service animals now for a couple of years. We have half the content. I, by the way, if any of you know of any veterans with post-traumatic stress that have a service canine, I would love to interview them if they're willing to. It's a hard group to recruit from. There's a lot of trust issues there. There's some stigma about PTS still that I think is sad, but if they have a service animal and they're interested in being interviewed, I'd like to talk to them about their experience. So that said, let's talk about the military working dogs. Some of these animals are so dangerous that the only people that can safely work with them are kennel masters or dog handlers. And if you don't have enough dog handlers, you can't just take a kennel with a military working dog that's designed to go after people on command. You can't just put them on an airplane full of a bunch of refugees. It's a very dangerous situation, and they can be very dangerous animals if not properly managed. I worked uh, around a couple military working dogs with a special operations handler. Uh, I was supporting, medically supporting the stuff that he was involved with, and so I was associated with them. And he one day walked by me and said, Doc, don't get into that cage. And I was like, what? It's a kennel. It's a Malinois. I mean, he said, stay far away from the cage. And I was like, what's, what's up? And he said, I'm the only person that can safely handle or be around that dog. That's, that's legit. And it's, it's real. And so when you hear these stories that someone says, how could we possibly have left dogs on the ground in Afghanistan? One explanation is something you wouldn't think of. And that is, how do you safely feed and care for that animal that is really dangerous on an airplane full of civilians? I'm not saying that happened or did happen or didn't happen. I'm just saying there's always extenuating factors in decision-making, and it's an imperfect system that's complex in nature. And so sometimes things that can look really ugly actually have a legitimate reason for being decided the way they were. It was the best of bad, bad options, if you know what I mean. So I want to thank you right now. I'm at 26 minutes. I got to go to clinic. I got to get my password redone. Uh, I'm trying to get my head back into that, figure out what it's like to treat this wonderfully deserving population of patients that I am privileged to take care of over at Appalachian Behavioral Health. And I'm looking forward to seeing a few of those folks again because they're really decent people uh, at the bottom line. And I like taking care of them. Um, but this is helpful. 
it's helpful to talk to you about this. It's helpful to frame the context of these things. It's helpful to reach out to you. And as always, if you have any questions about rotations or the stuff we talk about, or you have suggestions, you can always reach us. Um, you'll hear the outro and I'll, it'll play. And um, I welcome you to come back. And for that, for those of you who are still listening, who are going to listen to this, I'm thankful that you have taken the time and have honored me with your ears. Uh, with that, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to shut this off. I'm going to go edit it. I'm going to post it on SoundCloud and I'll go on to iTunes. And um, we're also going to try, I'm going to try to locate him. He's a, he's a, he's a shifty little dude. Nasarg Bakshi, he's out there somewhere, another co-founder of Rotations. He's embedded in his pediatric residency, and I'm going to find him and say how, find out how he's doing, and we'll do, a little, we'll do a little snippet on him too. So with that, this is Labor Day weekend. Hopefully to get posted on Labor Day. I hope you have the best of Labor Days. I hope you think carefully about what Labor Day is about. It is not about veterans. It is not about veterans. Okay, it's about, it's about labor. It's about people who work and, and trying to give them uh, recognized day for a time off with their family. So I hope you have a great Labor Day. Um, I'm glad to have this outlet with you. And um, again, I hope we can build some content in the near future that's going to make you um, really happy that you took the time to listen. So with that, take care. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. This episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we sometimes pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators. You must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema for Todd, at Prof Plow for Brian. Nisarg Bakshi for Nisarg Bakshi and at Rotations PCAST or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations. Check us out on Facebook at Media and Medicine. And finally, for me, Todd Fredericks, you can also send me a message through my Facebook page at TR Fredericks. But please, I have a sense of feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater. <laughs> <laughs>